Grace, mercy, and peace to you from Christ Jesus, our Lord. Turn to the person next to you and said, say, I'm redeemed. Thank God. What a wonderful song as we're thinking about fresh start. And that is really the focus of what we're going to look at tonight as we consider a passage from Philippians, the third chapter. Halfway between New York City and Washington, D.C., the train engine fell silent. I've got some good news and bad news, the conductor said, and the bad news is we lost power. The passengers groaned. The good news, he added, is we weren't cruising at 30,000 feet. Flying, traveling through life um, sometimes is not what we expect. This week we had a big storm, Sunday night. I went to Walgreens and then I went to the gym and as I was coming home, it had knocked out all the street lights. Well, it had knocked out the traffic lights, but it was very, very dark. And as I was traveling on Via Linda, I hit a part of a tree, and I could tell that it had probably gotten caught up in there. So I turned on to, to um, Shea Boulevard, and then I pulled off at the first place I could. I looked under there. I pulled out part of the tree, and then I pushed whatever was falling down, back up in there. Didn't have my duct tape with me, but I would have put duct tape on there. And then I thought, okay, not too bad. It was in the dark. I, all I could do was sort of feel around. I can make it home. And so I pulled out on Shea Boulevard, and I was going to turn on 124th Street up, going up to our home, and I usually wait to move over from the center lane into that closer lane to turn left off of Shea. And as I did, there was another big tree. And this one was a giant tree. And all I could do was... And then I was in the tree. And I was thinking, oh, dear Lord, this is not... I was complaining about the last little twig... This is the rest of the tree laying there. And as I moved through it, I knew, oh, it's done a lot of damage. So took the car in, $5,000 worth of damage. Now, between the time that that happened and the time that we called the insurance company to find out that, yes, they would cover it, phew, except for $500 deductible, I was not a happy camper. I was kicking myself all over the place thinking, why didn't I see that? How could I have missed that? Oh, yes, it was dark. Yes, the police were out at all of the corners because the traffic lights were out. And I should have probably not gone out thinking, that there was going to be a storm, which, by the way, hadn't happened when I was leaving. It happened while I was gone. And for some of us, like Tracy, who went out to the grocery store and wondered if she would have to row her way home or back 
you know, do a backstroke home, water up to her ankles, um, going through the parking lot, it came up so suddenly. You think, how could I have missed that? Until my son, who does part-time driving for Uber, came home and he said, Dad, Dad, trees are down everywhere. It's only by the grace of God that I did not hit multiple trees because he, with his good eyes, could not see them until the very last moment. It's just that he's a little quicker with his driving skills than I am. Sometimes when we go through these kinds of challenges, we feel as if we are not just not thriving, we're just surviving, and we're not doing a very good job of it. I want us to look tonight at Philippians, the third chapter, and we're going to consider just a few verses in consideration of what was happening in Paul's letter to those Philippians, the first church in Europe that was established. This was a church that he loved. They loved him very much. They were very supportive of him. And he writes this whole book of Philippians from prison in Rome. Not a comfortable place in chains. He writes a great deal about joy and encouragement. He's sitting in a place that, because he was serving the Lord, got him in a dangerous, dangerous place. But out of this, he was able to even consider the bigger view of who he was, where he had come from, where the Lord had him, and where he was going, so that he could turn around and encourage all of those who were still in places serving the Lord, but who were dealing with difficulties themselves. And I've used the, the message here, and it, when Jay Peterson wrote this, he wanted to ca- encapsulate the sense of how that first church would have received this letter. He, he, the language is, is a little um, exciting, a little more exciting than just a translation. Um, so, As we read through this, keep that in mind that if you were hearing this for the first time, this is maybe how you would have heard it. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. This verse, yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared, he said, to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness." There were some people who were attempting to seduce spiritually the people in Philippi, those early Christians, and tell them that they needed to add something to their faith. They had to do something in order to get God's forgiveness or get God's righteousness. And they were doubting, or struggling at least, with what Paul was teaching. And so he's trying to tell them that those folks 
in previous a few verses before, he actually referred to them as dogs in the sense that they were acting so belligerent and misleading people that there was not a better um, there was not a better description of what they were doing and who they were. They were ill-intended. They were not in agreement with the Lord, and they were attempting to have power and authority over those early believers. You know, when Jesus said we are to be as, when we're facing the world, we're to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Have you ever thought about what that means? Anybody had a serpent in their yard? A snake crawling through? Um, I've had a lot of run-ins with snakes, and, you know, of course, we go back to Genesis and look at um, the devil appearing as a snake um, and being able to speak. Now, I've not had any snake encounters where they've actually spoken. Anybody here? Okay, I want to talk with you afterwards if you have. It's enough when a snake is curled up and the sound that he makes... And you know he means business. I once was on a picnic, and I was probably a little heady, and I don't think it was because we were drinking wine, but it was in Kansas, and we'd gone down to the river, and as we were coming back up, there was this big rattlesnake. And I don't know why, probably because I was just young and stupid. I had a bag in my hand that I'd carried our picnic stuff in, and I thought... I'm going to take care of this snake with one fell swoop of my bag. And I went, bam! And when I did that, it, along with that snake's reaction, bounced that snake up. And all I saw was this snake coming at me like this. I thought, oh my gosh, this is not good. And I'm thankful that at that moment, the snake thought it wasn't a good thing either, and he went one way, and I ran the other way, and I kept thinking, David, what possessed you to do such a thing? Thankfully, I did learn from that moment I have not ever whacked a a poisonous snake with something that is not really deadly. If you're going to do it, make sure you dispatch that snake the first time. That's what Paul is saying here. Be done with that thinking. That, as some people, my Baptist friends, pastor friends have said, is stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. He said, he goes on to say, and he identifies that, of all of those things that you think you're going to present to God is nothing more than dog do. Now, we don't have many sermons, okay, you will probably not hear another sermon where that word is used. But that's how clearly Paul wants to get this to people. Because we live in a real world, folks, don't we? We deal with this kind of stuff all around us every day. Things that come out of even well-intended sources try to refocus us and lead us away and try to tell us, no, 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 no. You know what? You're getting too Christian. You're, you're, you're doing far too much thinking about this Jesus stuff. Years ago, they called us Jesus freaks. Well, if I got to be a freak, which 
you sang that song. If anybody ever has called us anything, we've, we can be freaks for a, in term, people's evaluation for a lot of things. I really want to be a Jesus freak. That's God's evaluation. If that means I'm sold out to God, that's what I want to be. I'm in love with this Jesus, and I am looking to be with him. And he's calling the shots now. When I was baptized, someone else spoke on my behalf. But now I understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I understand what God has done. I understand what he's calling me to. And Paul is saying, now look at me where I've come from. I am discounting all of that, not because with a wave of my hand I can forgive myself, but because the mighty God has forgiven me because of Jesus Christ. I am given permission to be somebody different. And God is the last one who has any evaluation. We'll all be evaluated by only the Lord. That's what Paul said. He said, people may evaluate. They can have all kinds of opinions about me. He said, but I'm not even going to bother about it. I'm not even going to bother about me evaluating myself. He said, only God will be the evaluator of what I do. And right now, I am putting everything aside compared to knowing Jesus Christ. All those things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. And Paul was a very well-educated man. He had He came from a a family that could educate him, so they were well off. He had very, uh, he had a lot of things, a lot of things in place that that he enjoyed, but he was willing to surrender all those things for Jesus Christ, to be sitting in a prison for Jesus because he wanted people to know the gospel, the eternal saving power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my master firsthand everything I thought I was going for in insignificant. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. That's what it comes down with, down to. Do you want to be embraced by Christ? You want to embrace him. Of all the things that we could invest our life in, Christ is the one that transforms it all. Now that may not mean that you leave whatever you're doing instantly, or you, you may not even leave it. He is going to not only transform you, but how you do what you do. In the weeks coming, we're going to be looking at various ways in which the Lord affects our living and certainly affects it with our thinking. When we go through difficulty, when we crash through trees in life and we don't know how we're going to pay for that or how we're going to deal with the aftermath, God already has it covered because we are his. Everything in our life is covered by him. When we think about the humility of Christ in the chapters before, there's a whole description in the second chapter of Philippians that said that Christ left glory. He didn't count being God as something that he would hold on to. But out of love for you and for me and for the world, he left heaven. He left glory and allowed himself to be born of a, of a virgin and be a child and to grow like a little child does every day so that everybody could identify with him in the human experience. You know, when I hold our granddaughter, 
two months old and I see her smiling or I see her laughing or I see her with her parents and how they're communicating and how they have this, this loving, nestling way and the, all of it is encapsulated in trust. My daughter said that this, it's sort of funny, but it's, it's the startle response when she takes her to put her down to change and that little transition, the, the baby worries. The, the arms flow. And, you know, it, it's, I guess it's humorous as a parent. You have to be there. Um, but in that moment, you, you, you know, uh, that um, you are the one caring for that child. That child is completely helpless. And you are the one who has been given the responsibility for that child's welfare so that that child knows that she's not going to be dropped, that those secure arms are going to come around her. The next time you coo in her face and she coos back, there is a connection that is bonded in love and trust. Jesus came to demonstrate for you and for me what it means to be humble, what it means to be self-sacrificing. We don't invent these things on our own. In fact, we might define them on our own, and we think sometimes we're being hum- humble and self-sacrificing, but we have to look at the cross. We have to look at the life of Christ to really have that, those words defined by him. And then within the whole scape of this message and letter to the Philippians is Paul saying, I once was this. I have all of these wonderful credentials, but I was also one who stood at the, st- the stoning of Stephen. I don't know anybody here that has stood while a Christian is being killed. Anybody here? I've never been at a stoning. Now, I've had people who would have liked probably for me to be stoned, <laughs> the stony instead of the stoner. But what we realize is that Paul actually was there. He who believed himself righteous and correct when it came to doing what God wanted was completely off base. And yet God was choosing him already then and forgiving him and moving him to a place where he would say those words to him, why are you persecuting me? And have Paul say, who are you? And Jesus identify himself. And then Paul coming to faith. He goes on to say, I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. Now, when he's saying that, it is not doubting whether he's going to be in the resurrection, that there's going to be a resurrection that Christ has for him, but that he's, he's, doesn't know exactly how he's going to die, how he's going to get to that resurrection power at that resurrection moment. All of us have to face death. All of us will, will lay down and realize death and the dust that we are. You know, we have, in every congregation, we have the experience of being able to acknowledge that there are people who are aging and who are in the process of dying. We don't want to lose them. We would like to have them hang around. We would like to get to know them. I'm visiting people that I'm, I'm just learning who they are. 
and then they're gone. One visit maybe, two visits. But others have known them a long time. But sometimes you don't find out about the person until they're gone. As we often have happen here in the church when the family comes in, do you know my father was? Do you know my mother was? And we say, whoa, really? Nobody knew that. Not even the people serving those individuals. Sometimes we get lost in the shuffle of life. We don't know what people have been through. We don't know what they've struck, what they've lost, what they've gained, what they've, what kind of, what kind of journey they've had. But let's be honest about this. The journey here is not as important as the one in whom we believe will raise us from the dead. This journey here is important only if we have Christ. And if we are understanding what Christ wants to say to us in the midst of whatever we're doing, that's what's important. Let's put everything on a balanced scale. The pain, the suffering, the struggle, the words said or the things, words not said or the disappointments or the loss. Let's put it on a struggle, on a, on a, on a balance and, and weigh Christ in that balance of things. Because what we're looking at is not just 25 years or 50 years or 90 years or 105 years. We're looking at eternity. That's what we're connected with. That's the reality that sometimes is lost in the everyday struggle, getting up, going to bed, sleeping, eating, dealing with all the decisions and the challenges. He wants to make sure that we have this balance right in our life so that we can face all of these things with something beyond, something greater, something better, something forever. When we think about the power of Christ, you and I are going to stand up after we've been dead. Wow. We're going to rise up. And people now, they don't just bury bodies, they cremate. So we think, Lord, you're going to have to take us from the very beginning like creation, like Genesis, and form us all together. Wow. But when you form us together, we won't be the same. We'll look the same, probably. We'll look, we'll be like him. He was familiar after his resurrection, and he did all of that not because he had to go through the human experience for himself. Oh, God, you needed to learn how to be human. No, no. We have to learn how to be eternal and to trust a God who is able to do that. If that's a God that we believe is going to do that, is he not going to give us all good things? Really? Is he going to withhold good things from us in this life? If he's going to resurrect us, if he saved us in Christ Jesus, is he going to withhold good things for us? Can we not be celebratory? Can we not be thankful? Can we not allow the Holy Spirit to alter who we are, to make us recreate us in the image of Jesus Christ? As the scripture says, to take all of our thoughts captive. Wow, I love that phrase. Because you know, sometimes my thoughts are just so wild. They're Wyoming wild. They're out running the range with, the, with all of the, the wildlife. You know, one time I had someone say to me, I asked them, she was a good member. Her husband died, and he was um, 
I think probably when he was able in church, and I asked her what she wanted for the funeral song, and she said, and I was thinking, there was a good Danish woman with an accent. She was coming from the old country. She was going to tell me some lovely hymn. I was hoping that I knew that hymn. And then she said, Home on the Range. <laughs> and I tried not to have, this was my, one of my first churches, so I thought, okay, I am in Wyoming. I tried not to say, Home on the Range? Where is that in the hymnal? That's not even the, in the little red book that we use. Home on the range. Of course, then I thought, years ago in the military, I sang for a bride coming down the aisle. Something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover. Oh, my gosh, why am I doing this? You never know sometimes. What surprises the Lord may come bring your way? But all of it is a desire to connect with people. Because that's what God does every day. Wanting to connect with us. That's the cross. It is the vertical. It is the horizontal. It is God reaching down to us and then us reaching out to other people because we have been changed by joy. He finishes this. I'm not saying that I have all this together. He says, I'm not there yet that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out to Christ, for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eyes on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm not. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Those are the words that are an invitation. Paul's saying, don't look back. Christ has called you into a new life to become someone new. Don't look back because looking back will only be like Lot and his wife who were being saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. And she looked back and the scripture says that she turned into a pillar of, of salt. Looking back turns us into something else that God has not planned for us. He wants us to be fruitful and to multiply. He wants us to be people filled with joy. And as someone said, the acrostic this morning reminded me in Bible study, men's Bible study, joy is Jesus, others, yourself. The priorities are set for us. Dear darling people in the Lord, he has set this goal for us. He's the goal. And he wants us to be filled with it every day, no matter what you're dealing with, so that you have that deep down assurance that it will be good. Maybe not fully good that day, but one day it will really be good. And we will be people who will be able to appreciate it. What will you say? What will I say when we step into glory? <laughs> Have you thought about that? Yeah. It's a good thing to think about every once in a while when you run into a tree in a dark night. <laughs> and then you wonder, what did you have planned there, Lord? And then you call your insurance company, and they've already covered that. So that's not the issue. What is the issue is that attitude that I'm still addressing. 
that I want to be transformed by my very person, by joy. Jesus first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for each one here. We thank you for the work that you are, have done, that you are doing, that you're committed to, because you say, that you remind us that for the joy of the cross, you endured. For the joy of salvation, you endured the cross, Lord Jesus, for us. And Lord, as we remember, you have begun a good work in us. And we ask that we would be able to run at, with perseverance the race marked out for us, that we would be able to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him, we would experience that cross. He scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. We ask, Lord, that we would consider him tonight who endured such opposition from sinners. So that we will not grow weary in heart. Thank you. All praise and honor and glory be to you and you alone forever and ever. And may we be your loving people who are living in joy and sharing that joy with those around us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.